Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host and screenwriter extraordinaire, Larry Brenner. Hey, Larry. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm great today. So this week, we've decided to tackle one of the first Disney princess films, the 1959 classic Sleeping Beauty. Which was almost the last uh, Disney (laughs) princess movie. It was. It was a film made from a very well-known fairy tale that Walt Disney thought of as his masterpiece. And the studio spent, get this, a whopping $6 million on it. (laughs) And the film itself, of course, is really stunning. But it did not do so well at the box office. It only brought in $5.3 million at the box office. Um, So are you ready for a little bit more trivia before we get started, Larry? Sure. Always. So in 1959, when this film came out, another Disney film comes out called The Shaggy Dog. Disney spends a million dollars to make that movie, and it brings in nine million dollars. So you start to, we start to see a switch. This is the point where we start to see a switch from animated movies, which are super labor intensive and lots, you know, to more live action films at a ratio of about forty three to one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, when uh, these films could be shown on television, on the Wonderful World of Disney in black and white, and so they didn't have to rely on the need for color. So it's a twofer. And I have a little bit of trivia, which I did not know, but I found out. Uh, You know, I always think about Disney princesses as being a staple of of the Disney experience, the the Disney uh, expanded universe, so to speak. Uh, But after Sleeping Beauty comes out in 1959, the next time Walt Disney goes back to the idea of storybook princess is The Little Mermaid in 1989. 30 years passing between... Disney princess movies. I I didn't realize that. Right. So there's this huge lag there. The movie is a feast for the eyes. It is gorgeous. And as art and as animation, I could sit and watch it all day. And so I love the movie for that. So I love it as a visual art piece. Right. The detail, there's use of color and that unending layered push backgrounds. It kind of reminds me of Bambi. There's this Tchaikovsky-esque music um, that is kind of, it's just, it's lovely. It's completely lovely. As a movie, though, <laughs> as, a, as a narrative experience, there, there, are some, there are some flaws in this one. I still love it. Right. But more so than Mary Poppins, which we did last week, this movie would really never get made the way that, uh, that it was done in 1959. Right. I mean, it really is sort of a thematic um, reprise of Snow White and Cinderella. Um, It doesn't have the cutesiness of Cinderella. Uh, It doesn't have the, um, I mean, I mean, you can argue that the, that the fairies are great. And of course there are plenty of gags with the fairies and kings and the servants and the animals, but it doesn't have that awe factor, you know, I don't think, um, but that's just me. It's almost impossible to ask which character do you like the most, right? Sorry. Like everyone has their favorite dwarf. I don't know that everyone has their favorite of the three good fairies or, you know, that. But, but let's get into it. Let's get yeah, into it. Yeah, let's start with structure, um, which is where we usually start. Um, what in the world is going on with the structure in this movie? I mean, it opens with the jewel book as do the other Disney films. And from there... All bets are kind of off. So I 
I wondered if you could maybe talk about that. I agree with the episodicness of this. You mentioned that earlier. I agree with that. Um, But yeah, what do you think? Okay, so I'm thinking about it. If anything, I think the problem with this movie is, in fact, it's like opening up the book and reading the story. I, I believe that this is a case of just being too faithful to the source material uh, in terms of choosing what what needs to be on the screen. Where do we where do we want to spend our time? This is this is an example. We, you know, a lot of people commonly complain. Why does the book have to change when it becomes a movie? Right. And I think Sleeping Beauty is a great example of exactly why you need to make changes, because not all parts of the story should have equal weight. Right. Uh, the, the other thing that goes hand in hand with this is because the story is told from an omniscient point of view, which is to say um, there's, there's an omniscient narrator who, who is telling us everything that's happening. Uh, that's literally like as we're reading on the page, once upon a time, we see that there. Um, but but the music is also doing a lot of the omniscient the omniscient work, especially at the beginning, as the introduction of of Baby Aurora and and all of that stuff. So that we're not seeing the story through the eyes of any of the characters, we're seeing it from a thousand feet above. We're right. not we're not. You could see a version of this story where we are following Baby Prince Philip. As he's his his dad holds his hand and brings him up to the crib, and like we could stay neatly rooted and experience the whole thing from his eyes, um, or we or we could pick another character, another person, but I don't know where we are at the start of this, and I never know where we are throughout the right. rest of it because we're unrooted at the beginning. We never get rooted to anybody, and so structurally. Like it's hard to follow a character's journey. Right. There it are feels, things that happen. Yes. Yeah. It feels really episodic that um, you have, and, and part of that is that omniscient point of view that you were talking about. When you have this God's eye view of everything that's happening, um, you as the audience know what's going on. Um, and in that way, it's sort of, it's sort of Shakespearean. I keep coming back to Julius Caesar because I'm spending a lot of time with it right now. But, you, you know, we know what's going on with Brutus. We know what's going on with, uh, with Julius Caesar. We know what's going on with Calpurnia. We, we know what's going on with all of these different characters, um, with Mark Antony. But we don't really, they don't really know what's going on with each other. And so it's, it becomes more of this, um, yeah, it's more play-like. I think if Sleeping Beauty, if this were done as a play, it would work a little better than it does as a movie. Um, I tried to come up with like, okay, the conflict, you know, I always try to go, okay, where's the conflict? Where's the rising action? Where's the climax? And where's the falling action? That usually gets me someplace. Um, So the conflict obviously is Maleficent's trying to kill Aurora. And then the rising action is, uh, you know, Aurora has this love for Philip and the fairies use of their powers until she pricks her finger and the fairies put the whole kingdom to sleep. And then Philip ends up, Killing Maleficent, and I think is the climax of the film. I think that's it. And then the falling action, she, you know, he finds Aurora, awakens her with true love's kiss, yada, 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 right? So it's just this, but that's, that said, we don't really spend a whole lot of time on 
I mean, there's that story, but there's a whole lot of, um, I don't know, just like side stories and kind of B and C, even C or D stories that kind of come up. Well, can I try to make this like a little bit easier for us? Yes. To... Okay. So, <laughs> please, Andy, thing that that you may not know about me, which yeah. you absolutely know about me, which everyone knows about me who's met me, is I'm a little obsessed with Harry Potter and the Harry Slightly. Potter stories. Yes, yes. But if we were looking at Harry Potter and we were saying, where does the story get to its inciting incident? There are two two answers we could give. One is much better than the other. One could argue, incorrectly, I think, that the inciting incident it happens before chapter one of the book, when Voldemort kills Harry's parents and orphans Harry. Because you could make the argument, well, that's what changes everything for Harry. You know, he would have grown up there, uh, but now he's going to grow up with the Dursleys. But in fact... That is not the story of Harry Potter. That is all exposition. Harry as a baby, because he's a baby, and that's that's my connection to it, does not know this part of the story. We know it uh, to a degree, but he doesn't. His inciting incident is the day where he finds out you're a wizard, Harry. Right, exactly. That is That's why we don't watch... 10, uh, 12 years of Harry growing up in the Dursley house. Right. We have that introduction chapter and we jump to that point. So if we're telling the story of Sleeping Beauty, the insight and and if she's the protagonist, which we'll get to in a second, right. <laughs> the inciting incident for the character should be, you're a princess, Rose. Right. It should be. Yes. That should be the day that changes everything. Yes, Maleficent did stuff in the past. Why do we as the audience need to know it before our protagonist knows it? We know it so much better. Unless Sleeping Beauty is not the protagonist of this film, which I would make a pretty good, I can make a pretty good argument that she's not. Oh, I agree with you. She is not. But I think you would agree with me if I said she should be. She absolutely should be. Her name's on the box. Right? If your name's on the clamshell or, or on the marquee, well, you should be. There. I mean, that's technically not always true. No. Um, Saving I mean, Private Coco. Ryan, Coco, Private right. Ryan is right, not. Sure. But but um, but she should be. We think of this, I think, in the abstract as her movie. Mm-hmm. She is the first person whose face appears to me when you say you want to see Sleeping Beauty. Right. I see Aurora. Right. Right. And it takes 22 and a half minutes until we actually meet her um, in the film. So if she's the protagonist, we probably should have met her, you know, by now. So, yeah. But because we take such, I mean, Harry Potter does it in one chapter and then moves us forward. Right, but, right. But Sleeping Beauty, we take such a long time getting to her that it really becomes very difficult to untangle. Right. Well, let's jump into plot. You ready to move over to plot? We have sure. a we have a baby princess, and she's born to this previously barren and king and queen. And then we have these three good fairies who are come to, I, I mean, it's kind of like a royal baby shower, right? And everybody in the kingdom's there. And then there's Maleficent who shows up uninvited, and she's just really angry that she didn't get invited to this royal baby shower. And so 
that immediately pops questions up for me. I immediately have questions like, what is the deal with Maleficent's rage? Like, why is it? It's got to be more than just she's not invited to this baby shower. What's her backstory? And of course, there's a 2014 film, Maleficent, and it attempts to answer all that. But right now, we don't have that. So let's, and that's sort of extraneous. So let's think about like, why is she so unhappy? And that's immediately. And and Meriwether even says, I don't even, I don't think she's happy. No, it's Fauna who says it. Oh, Fauna, sorry. No, it's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. Ah. And and if we could explore that line more, I'd be happy. But I'm going to throw out to you, Andy, I don't think Maleficent is angry that she hasn't been invited to the ball. I disagree with that premise. Okay. I think she is delighted to have not been invited to the party. I think she is delighted because it gives her a grievance and it gives her agency to act. In other words, you know, we talked about this last time, the Mm -hmm. possibility of a transgression, that usually the characters do something that in some way earns their fate. And I think Maleficent is supposed to be invited. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this when maybe we get to uh, theme and symbolism. But I think you are supposed to consult with all the fairies, good and bad. Everyone is supposed to be invited. And Stefan and his queen transgress by not inviting her. And that gives her agency Mm -hmm. to do harm. And I think she's thrilled. Ah. Because if she had been invited, she may have done a little harm, but maybe... Not as much, or maybe they could have, yeah, yeah. She may not even have come. So in a way, they're trying to protect their daughter from this awful, evil person by not inviting her because they know who she is. But they can't really protect her from that. So They cannot. They cannot. And that really, for me, when we get to theme, is, is what, this whole, what this whole movie is about. Um, but but the idea that by ignoring Maleficent, they somehow can pretend she doesn't exist, that's that's the yeah, insult. It is. They it is. don't acknowledge her existence until she walks through that palace, and that is their mistake. And she's thrilled. Finally, some a grievance that I can do something about. Yeah, I love that. Um so she's promised, and so this baby is promised. We know that there's an arranged marriage to Philip. Yes. And we think that she's, and she starts believing that she's a foundling raised as Briar Rose by these three spinsters living deep in the forest. But before that, there's this whole, um, you know, the fairies, what do we do? How do we stop this? How do we make keep this from happening? This thing on her 16th birthday that's going to happen, this prophecy, how can we keep this from coming true? And so they conspire to, you know, not use their magic and move her to the forest and raise her as a foundling. Right? And, and if I was going to say, a, ask them a question, yeah. I would say, why are you doing any of that? Because the truth of the matter is Maleficent cursed her to prick her finger and die, but Meriwether already fixed it. She's right. not going to die. She's right. going to sleep until true love's kiss awakens her. So I would think the logical action would be, well, if this 
is going to happen no matter what. And we're fairies and we know that it should. Because she did her thing and then we modified it. This point in time is fixed and cannot be altered. What we should be doing in that intervening 16 years is making sure Aurora finds her true love so that he is on standby to kiss her and maybe she'll only sleep for like (laughs) two seconds. Done. But we don't have to spend our whole lives in the woods without our wings, without our wands. We know know what the solution is when it happens. We've got a plan for that. Do you think, though, that they're trying to protect her from further damage from Maleficent? Because Maleficent already had her her go, right? And they're like, we've got to keep her from any, any further harm. Because that's how I read it. Sure, but Maleficent has... In order for Maleficent to win, she can't just kill Sleeping Beauty. It has to happen the way that she said it was going to happen. Right. It's not so it's not like she can just show up as a dragon and bite Sleeping Beauty, have Sleeping Beauty <laughs> cupcakes and um and and call it a day. It right. has to unfold in this particular way. Sending out the goons doesn't do it. Um uh-huh. you know, her like none of that is necessary. It's just going to happen. It just is. Right. And and so I, I just I don't I don't get why they don't know that because it's their magic that modifies and already protects it. The other thing. Oh, I've got I've got I've got another thing too. So go ahead. <laughs> arguably, each fairy can only give a blessing once. Right. I suspect this is the only curse Maleficent can lay on Sleeping Beauty. Right. If Meriwether had given her blessing before Maleficent did. Then Maleficent would say she dies at 16, and then there are no blessings left in reserve that can right. undo it. Right. But because, you know, like on the stack of cards that are happening, Maleficent takes her turn third, it means Meriwether wins by going fourth. Right. So on her 16th birthday, she falls in love with this older man. And I, okay, so here, she's out in the in the woods. She doesn't know she's a princess. He doesn't know she's a princess. Neither of them really know. I mean, he knows he's a prince, obviously. But she but doesn't know he's a prince. She doesn't know. And so there's all this dramatic irony. But we know about this arrangement. Um, and, of course, she's discovered by Maleficent's Cody Raven because the fairies decide to use their magic because the birthday party just isn't quite coming together the way they had envisioned. And that leads me to so many questions. <laughs> No, there's a lot. Let's 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 try to unpack them one at a time. And yes. I, I suspect your first question is going to. Well, I mean, my my first question would be. I it's not even a question. This is a statement. And then we'll go to your questions. <laughs> statement: The fact that I know that Philip is a prince, and that Rose is a princess, robs the movie of any possible suspense for me. Their yeah. whole. They're whole star-crossed lovers we can't be together, but I'm in the audience, and I know more than them, and right. I know that this problem that they're experiencing is not a real problem. It's there supposed is... to build suspense, and I, I wonder if in, you know, in 1959, if viewers would have been more, you know, like, engaged in the story and drawn in. I, I don't know, but it just, it isn't working here in 2021. So, so, so I'd, be, I'd have a little more fun with it. She meets someone and hold off on revealing that he is Prince Philip 
for as long as, as possible. possible. We don't know who so, he is. Yeah. So we yeah. feel it like a real conflict. Yes. Prince Philip, uh, like we should think he, he looks, he's this, we should think he looks like someone else. There should be a mislead so that when he gets revealed as Prince Philip, then we're like, ah. And I mean, we'll a, see it, that's we'll a, see it so, coming. Yes, it's a simple fix as opposed to this, yeah, yeah. It's an attempt at dramatic irony that I think kind of falls flat. But I want to know how the fairies don't know how to do anything after living as mortals for 16 years. <laughs> what like, were... who's been making her clothes up to there? And they're, and they're all, I mean, who's been doing all these things for her without magic? And then one of them even says, for the first time in 16 years, I shall sleep well. And I'm like, if you know that this is the night that you've sacrificed 16 years of your magic for, are you just going to let her go out in the woods and pick berries because you can't get your birthday party together? Isn't there some sort of heightened, like, oh my gosh, are they just these bumbling fairies? You know, you don't let her go off in the woods. If anything, you keep her under lock and key, right? Because this is the night. This is the day. Why even start the journey on her 16th birthday? Why do they even get on the horses? Just stay in the car. They are so close. What are one more day? The sun goes down. Next day, curse averted. Then you leave. Why is it going out on a. It's like going out to the bars or something if you, like, are about ready to get your vaccine the next day, right? It's like, and breathing in people's faces or whatever. It's like, okay, stop. Like, now you're going to, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. You, you and know what it's working, like? And that it literally is their purpose for being there. And they completely ignore their purpose and it drives me, drives me crazy. It's really much more like it's you're going to be your 21st birthday, and because it's your 21st birthday, you go out drinking at 8 p.m. and get arrested for for drinking <laughs> under the drink. age, which is a thing that people do. You right, know, right, right, like that right. that does happen. You're like, but I turned 21 <laughs> at midnight. Sorry, you you had this drink at 11:30. You're still a minor. It's <laughs> oh my goodness. No. So, so that is just a, a real, uh, it just like made me tear my hair out a little. Um, but then we like shift to the King Stefan and King Hubert bits. And the movie really starts to drag here, like really starts to drag uh, with the drunken servant. And I want to care more about the two of them, but I just don't. Um, I'm not invested in them at all. Stefan hasn't said anything. Nobody said anything. And the only thing they care about is this arranged marriage. And will it, won't it, you know, is it, is this going to happen? This is not going to happen. So, and it's, I think it's supposed to, in, that relationship is supposed to enhance the drama of um, these two maybe getting together or not, or Philip may have somebody else, or it's supposed to enhance this dramatic irony, but it really doesn't do that. And I want to talk a lot, a little bit more about dramatic irony a little later. But it it really starts to drag, and I keep going. But what's happening? That what what really matters? What's happening with what really matters? And I think the problem with this scene is there's no real sense of conflict between the two of them. Oh, they no. both want the same thing. Their only question is exactly what the timetable is going to be, and it's not even a real problem yet. Now, 
you could change this scene to give it conflict. And the conflict could be that, you know, Stefan was fine with the idea that when his daughter would turn 16, she'd marry Hubert's son. But since he's had no time with her, right, he wants to renegotiate that deal. Right. And it should bring the countries really to the brink of war. Not this pretend I'm gonna I'm gonna slap your fish at you, but like there needs to be if there needs to be really the threat that things can go badly for us to care about this scene. And if there isn't that threat, because we know this is not the story. This is not the story about how these two countries have almost gone to war. Right. This it those those scenes, like they introduce characters. And they're introducing characters because they serve the story later, but they spend a lot of time on them. But why do we care? We only care when there's conflict. Right. And, there isn't and, so, and right now, there's absolutely there's zero stakes right here. And for countries that have almost gone to war, you would think there would be more conflict, right? I completely agree. Completely agree. So um, the fairies take Aurora to the palace. And then Aurora lives up to Maleficent's prophecy and she pricks her finger on a spinning wheel and falls asleep. But here's the thing. If you have grown up for 16 years thinking that you're Briar Rose living as a foundling and then all of a sudden you learn that, why is there no real shock when she learns that she's a princess? She just sort of accepts it. There's no real like, oh my gosh, what that doesn't create any conflict at all. And it just keeps going. It just keeps going forward. I I might even argue um, I don't believe that Aurora could be happy in that cottage separated from everyone with just those three women. She should be looking forward to the day. You know, uh, an, an easy comparison for me would be Tangled. Oh, like, yeah, is there absolutely. a difference between Rapunzel's early experience and Aurora's early experience? They are both kept away from the world at large until they— uh, why, why is Aurora going along with this? Why isn't this something she wants to rebel against? Why isn't she excited to meet other people? She has needs, social needs that have to be met. As someone right. who may have been trapped in his house for several months. <laughs> I, I was going to say, have you been talking to my daughters? <laughs> or, but, but wouldn't you grow up and become... If the only people you knew were Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather, who are not really human, and that was it. That was the entirety of your social circle. Well, she, has, she does make, have the woodland creatures, right? They're, she's got those guys. <laughs> uh, sure. I'll, I'll give them to you. That's a gimme. It, should, it would make her more of a character because she's mm-hmm. strange. She's not right. socialized properly. And right. that would be fun. Right. And, and she knows exactly what to do with Philip. She, you know, she, uh, although he is, my daughters are like, could he quit holding her hands? That's a little creepy. Um, he keeps hanging on to her during this movie. And she finally goes, oh, okay. And just sort of like, you know, collapses into him as they look at the castle or whatever. And it's like, oh, anyway. Um, yeah. So let's keep going forward because I think we could stay here too long. Okay. Um, Maleficent, so Maleficent captures Philip to keep him from reaching Aurora and then the fairies sort of help him escape. And so you have this 
that good die, or sorry, that evil die and good endure this thematic that comes. And so that becomes even more, if we didn't know that this was a good versus evil film, we know that now in this case. Yeah. So Maleficent, then she surrounds the castle with this hedge and the fairies are close by, but they don't directly help in this battle. They really, I mean, they sort of, they use their magic somewhat, but they really allow Philip to take on Maleficent himself. Disagree. Um, You don't think so? No. Okay. I think I think one of the big problems of this sequence is Philip does not do the work on his own that they direct it is like they are playing a video game and Philip is the character that they are controlling. They tell him when to strike, they give him the weapons that he needs. They're constantly coaching him. Uh you know, Flora casts a spell at the end as he's using the sword to make it happen. He does not pull this off unassisted. If well, they, there's this one there's this one moment though, and maybe it's small, this one moment where Meriwether goes to help him and um I can't remember if it's Flora or Fauna again. It's a problem when you have two characters that are, you know, named similarly, right? Yes. Yeah, both similar F-names. visuals. Right, right, right. And she pulls her her back, like, no, this is his fight. There's but this one moment. I'm not saying they don't I'm not saying they don't grease the wheels, but it would be kind of neat if if you know. And maybe that needs to be a little more. This is a big problem for the movie, Andy. Yes. We have spent 16 years with these characters saying Maleficent is out there and we do not have the power to stop her. Turns out they absolutely have the power, to, have stop the power her. to stop her. What they needed was in th- someone to pick up the sword and the shield, but it could have been any schmo with the sword and the shield. They could have gone out. They could have found Philip a year ago. Sent him out to fight Maleficent with the sword and the shield, dead Maleficent, early movie. They have the tools to fight her. Right. They create the weapons to fight her. Yeah. I mean, everything, everything is there. Um, Yeah. I'm going to think about that. You don't like that, huh? Yeah, I like it, but I don't. I mean, it's. mm, It would be different. Well, I mean, the thing is they're able to empower Philip, but Philip has to show up first. I don't think. Um, I don't think they can just create this true love entity for her. I mean, I think they would have to find him. And then if you find somebody for somebody else, is that really true love or does that just have to unfold? I mean, because there's this, you know, this has to be somebody that she's been dreaming of for some time. Is that, is that a requisite for this? No, I think they so. give him the sword of truth right. and the shield of, I don't remember. Right. They never say that the only reason you can use these is you love her. Hmm. If that was the case, he would he would he would be half the agency. They wouldn't even need to be there for the final battle. You don't think that's subtext? I, I, I think, think, I think I it's not think text. I yeah, think it's, it's not, not text. No, it's not text, but I think it's sort of the subtext of like they see it happening and they're like, all right, you're the one. You can you can fix this. Well, right. at that point, can the thing that he can fix is he can kiss Aurora. That's why he's got to be the one to get on this journey. He's the only one who can do that. Right. But, but. I'm not saying I would have written it this way. But no, I do think, I do, <laughs> but I do think that um, Philip killing Maleficent um, makes the stake. I mean, he wants, he wants Aurora. It's a way for him to prove that this is something. He's not just like, yeah, this is too much. No, this is 
this is his mission, and he has to, he's he's decided he's taking the mission. He fights for her, but mm-hmm. on the tutorial mode on easy mode with with a lot of help from from the narrators. <laughs> <laughs> well, he fights for her, but he also um I don't think he knows he's getting the help that he's going to get, right? He he's he's going for it, but I don't think he knows that this is that they're helping him necessarily. This is not about Philip for me. This is right. that they don't that like the idea that like maybe Philip could have succeeded without them, and then we'd have a much stronger battle between the two of right, them. Right? Exactly. Exactly. That would when be it's, cool. That would be when it's great. Philip and the three fairies like constantly cheating to make him win. <laughs> it's not as exciting. It isn't as exciting, but hmm, but also not as magical. Maybe. Maybe. So maybe. Um, so the tr- here's the, so Philip kills Maleficent. Love's first kiss awakens Aurora, and of course the trumpeters know that Philip is presenting Aurora, who meet her father and mother for the first time. The trumpeters know, everybody knows this is Aurora, except for apparently the king and queen, who never says anything. The queen has zero lines. That's not true. She has one. She has one? Yes. At the beginning of the movie, she's when Maleficent is there, she goes, "Um, and, and you aren't angry, your excellency? Oh, that's it. That's it, but that's the only one. I'm right? just saying she's an under five. She gets paid. <laughs> she's not an extra. She feels like an extra. Maybe I was looking away when that happened. She oh, does God. feel like an extra. Yeah, she just, and she is stark still with no movement at all. She barely ever moves. So it's a really, and has no objection. And the other thing is she has no objection to her daughter. They have no objection to these fairies taking their daughter for 16 years. They were barren. They have this child. They have zero objection with them taking her away. We, we don't know that. Maybe she did. We, we don't, don't know. But we don't know. I mean, the, nobody. The, the evidence isn't to... there. The evidence <laughs> right. isn't I mean, there. They, I'll, they I'll, look... I'll grant you. But. <laughs> I... Okay. Okay. So. But that's the plot. Yes. That is the plot. <laughs> Such as it is. So you wanted to get into some exposition and talking about narration. Um, I think with exposition, before you get started, I think um, the exposition is really typical of the Disney films in that there's a lot of exposition from the narrator. And then also that heavenly choir tells us a whole lot. Um, And the other thing that happens in this movie when it comes to exposition is almost a soliloquy that when Briar Rose, um, my, my daughters and I had this conversation because we're, you know, we're nerds. Like, is this a soliloquy? When um, Briar Rose and Aurora address her woodland creature friends about her dream of a man, it feels like this pseudo soliloquy monologue, even though she's talking to animals who are, are somewhat responding to her, but it feels that kind of like, I have to get this all out here so you'll know all about that. I've been dreaming about this man for this long. Um, and of course the, the song once upon a dream is throughout the entire, the entire piece. Sure. Um, and, and one could argue that, that part of the problem with this sequence is it is directly parallel to Snow White at the wishing well singing someday my prince will come. Right. That to, again, woodland creatures. Right, 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 right. So it's, it's adorable and, but it. Yeah, but it's like it's, it's like things are happening as opposed to things, you know. Yeah. The, the problem is 
when you're comparing those two things. With Snow White, it's early on in the movie, it's introducing us to her, and we learn about her through the song. That right. she has a childlike innocence that um that like she's she talks to animals. She's got this little girl voice. It's mm-hmm. it's all really cute. So she might as well be talking to her imaginary friends. And right. that song invites us to care about Snow White and to fall in love with her. Right. right. She's a dreamer. Ex- and yes. I'm sorry, just give me one more second, Andy. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But while she's she's doing it, while she is enslaved by the evil queen, forced to do menial labor. It is a heroic song for her because she's supposed to be miserable here. And what we learn about her is she has this unbridled optimism that allows her to transcend this dark moment in her life. Right. By the way, I'm working through this as I'm speaking because this just (laughs) occurred to me now. Oh, we don't want to lose this moment. No, no, I don't. No. So this is why we do this. So so (laughs) when she sings what is essentially the same song as Sleeping Beauty— it's a moment of heroism. But right. Aurora has lived an idyllic life, if boring and pastoral, uh, outside in the cottage. She has never had an ounce of conflict. She right. is supported by not one, but three loving mothers um, mm-hmm. and a bunch of animal friends. So when she's singing, someday my prince will come, I mean, we know that he will. Also, we know he will. We've met right. him. So, right. so, so. We actually aren't learning that she has the strength of character that Snow White has. We're not learning anything about her except that she's a girl waiting for a boy, and that's it. And, and that's at the it. moment when you put them side by side, I now this is a new understanding for me. I'm so glad we did this. <laughs> but but the Snow White moment is infinitely superior to the Sleeping Beauty moment. We Agreed. learn more about Snow White than we do about Aurora. Completely agree. Aurora is, I mean, Snow White's multidimensional. She's got some things that she wants. She gets afraid. She, the, the, yes. Aurora is really flat. As a character, she's super flat. And we'll jump into characters here in a minute. But um, the exposition, if you're going to use it, I think it works so much better. And Snow White is that illustration. It works so much better if you get it out of the way in the beginning, use it to develop a character, use it for a purpose, use it as a way to get us into this place as opposed to what 22 minutes into the film you spend a minute and a half it's a minute and a half of this of this uh little bit of a monologue where she tells us that she's always been waiting for this man which and and my question is how many men has she ever known really i mean how many men has she ever even seen we don't even know i mean it just seems really strange yes I want to answer that question. But before yes. I do, I just need to follow this train of thought a little bit. Sure. Andy. Yes. If Briar Rose hates being at the cottage or is tired of being at the cottage, wants to experience the world, shouldn't this movie be? It's her 16th birthday and she runs away from home because now she's grown up, but the fairies have not yet told her why they needed her to stay in the cottage. So right. it's not that they suddenly like forget and pull out their wands and, and be like dopey. It is in fact, there is this crisis they were not in. They were so close, there's this crisis. But because they have protected her from the truth about herself, she is now, she's run away. She's trying to get directly to the place she should not go. 
And right. then when she's singing Someday My Prince Will Come, uh, it not Someday My Prince Will Come, um, Once, Once Upon, upon a, a Dream, dream right? right? When once she's singing that, it is an act of rebellion. Um, right. Like, or or if he hasn't come, I'm going to go find him. Right. It feels that way. It feels like this, oh, they're doing this again. They want to control me, but they can't really do that, right? But we, so, want, yeah. we need her activated. Absolutely. And I'm saying this adjustment, if she was running away from home, would activate her and make us care about her more. Right. If we, yeah, or if we saw her early, you know, if we saw her earlier and cared about her, like, yeah, I... I want to care about Aurora more than I do, more than just she's beautiful. You and, know, and I want, she's not and, frustrated and, and by them. Not at all. She should be not frustrated. At all. Yeah, there should be some tension and there is just you're you're just hoping for it. And it's like, oh, they're so kind. You know, no, there needs to be tension. She's amused by the, the party they throw for her. But mm-hmm. what if she saw it and and like she was trying to put a happy face on it, but she's like I just can't stay here anymore. Right. I've outgrown them. I've outgrown this, right. They're the right. children now. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole lot that could be done to to ratchet up the tension because there's just not a whole lot of... The, you know, the thing that this movie is missing, I think there's tension, and there's tension missing, and there, are, you know, it'd be nice to have a nice reversal where we go into, you know, one scene and we think something's going to happen and then something completely different happens. Um, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, just some, you know, places where it, sh- it zigs, where it should zag. That would be nice. Um, I let's agree. See. Let's see. So let's talk about characters a little bit. Um, I have my idea on who the protagonist is. And we'll save that for just a minute. Let's talk about characters first. We have three fairies. We have Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Um, they're three fairies that come to bless a new baby. Um, we don't have much of a backstory on these guys. No, we have none. We don't, we, and really, we don't really, we haven't really talked about setting, but we don't really know where this kingdom is either. It's just a rando kingdom. It, it is. We know what time period it is. It's the 14th century. We do so, know that. So it does mean that it's our world. Right, right. So, yeah, we don't really, but we don't really know much more than that. Uh, we have Maleficent and we have her bumbling goons. Um, so we have an antagonist and probably one of the greatest Disney villains um, who really gets the idiotic servants that she deserves, um, I think, except for her raven, who is pretty slick. I think, I mean, it is clear when you watch this movie um, that Maleficent is the breakout star. Oh, absolutely. She steals the scene every time she's on stage. Yes, she's yes. interesting to watch. There are more levels to what she's doing in her performance. There are, you know, you get the sense from her that she does want to, she, she aspires to be this cold, calculating person that is like pure evil, just evil for the sake of evil. But then there are these moments where she takes it personally, yes. where her anger gets the better of her, where yes. she realizes just how miserable she truly is. And that is fascinating. Right. She, so it's the she, best performance. She is. She's layered. She's got. Um, she's got wants. She gets her feelings hurt. She does. I mean, all these things happen to her. She's far more interesting than some. Maybe some of the other characters. Um, yes. Okay, Andy, I've got a question for you. Yes. 
favorite fairy? Flora, Fauna, Merryweather. Merryweather, straight up. Why Merryweather? Because she doesn't get what she wants. Okay. <laughs> and she has to work around work around the other's magic to try to get what she wants. And is needs. it possibly Merryweather because she creates the conflict within the trio? Absolutely. That's that's. that's I mean, I think that says quite a bit. That's a good answer. That's. Yeah. Uh, and I think when I first watched this movie, I would have completely agreed with you. Yes. Uh, this time was the first time Merryweather was not my favorite. Yeah, who's your favorite this time? Fauna is my favorite. Okay. And you could argue she is the least of the three. Flora's the bossy one. Merryweather right. is the, they have that whole pink and blue war. Right, and right, Fauna right, is right. out of it. But I realize Fauna is trying to make this into a better story. She's um, working really <laughs> No, she she's says really hard. You're right, you're right, you're right. The you're thing that totally she says right. that I find tremendously interesting is, couldn't we just go and talk to Maleficent and see if there's something that she wants? Maybe we could talk her out of this. Mm-hmm. And Flora is like, absolutely not. That, could, that would never happen. Talk with Maleficent. But you know what? It is a more interesting movie if there is a conversation between the good fairies and the bad fairies. Mm-hmm. Fauna, Fauna's instincts, I think, are the correct instincts, that that they need to be active rather than, than hole up in the middle of the cottage, um, that, that, in fact, opening up a dialogue, and, and we would see more of Maleficent, and we'd get a better yeah. sense of who the good fairies are, we would get more of a sense of their rules, um, it's, yeah, and if this is really thematically a film about good versus evil, then it would be nice to see good interacting with evil more often. Right. I mean, it, especially since good is going to triumph over evil. Why are right. they not approaching this as partners? That right. like we are the equals of Maleficent. Right. I don't know. I I like that. I actually like Fauna's Fauna's sort of got like a. Um, Rose Nyland from the Golden Girls feel to her. <laughs> she does. I had this note on my thing. I scratched it out, but I had this Golden Girls sort of note of the forefather, Fauna and Merriweather. They're sort of, they sort of gave me that vibe this time too. Um, so we have Aurora and she is the hidden princess who doesn't seem to have anything to do but prick her finger. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Andy, I thought we were talking about characters. <laughs> We are. No, no, no. There's no. I. I would think I would remember. <laughs> you think you'd remember a character named Aurora? <laughs> I think I would remember. You know, a ca- I remember a plot device named Aurora. Is that what you're thinking of? Oh, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe that. No, she's that's flat. Funny. I mean, we've we've pointed Super it flat. out. She's flat. Yeah, yeah. Philip, he won't let go of Aurora's hand, and she seems to like him way too quick. And there's nothing ever really earned between the two of them. Well. You think there's something earned between the two of them? It depends. <laughs> if, oh. if we take, I, I've been thinking about it. I'm going to come back okay. to this. I, I don't, and I don't think we're supposed to, but I've been trying to stretch my brain because I know you don't like that they fall in love so, so in love so quickly it's, without knowing. Wait, I mean, it is. I mean, to be very fair, it is the typical, very typical. I started looking at other films, uh, romance films from the '40s and '50s. And people fall in love way too quick, and it's not earned in many cases. So this is very genre-typical for that time period, I think. So because I want to fight with you, I yes. tried to come up with a way, because I knew this was a sticking point with you, where I could buy into the fact that they fall in love so quickly. Okay. And I'm 
I'm going to say, what if the song they're singing about, I know you, I've danced with you once upon a dream, isn't a metaphor? What if really they've been secretly meeting in their dreams their whole be, lives? Which would be far more interesting <laughs> than what we have. And just, and just to cause conflict between the two of us. <laughs> to make this a more interesting podcast. I, 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 I'm the Merriweather. I, I'm glad you like Merriweather, but I'm Merriweather. Yeah, and I'm, no, we're both Merriweather. But, but, um, but I am choosing now to believe that throughout their entire lives, a magical bond has existed between the two of them. They've seen each other every night in their dreams. And when they finally see each other, they know each other. Uh, and when she sings, I know you, I've danced with you, and he repeats it, they are actually yes. repeating a dance that they have done many, many times before. Oh, and so that is lovely. That makes it better. <laughs> That makes it a lot better. I'm giving, I'm giving, a, I'm giving a lot of goodwill towards this movie to make <laughs> yes, that happen. You, you really are. <laughs> so, but I have believe King's, it now. Yes, I'm so glad. Um, so, King Stefan um, is a straight man for King Hubert, I think. Yes. Um, and they they provide some comic relief, but I think that's again, and I think we've talked about this, but the tension, there's just no tension between the two of them. There's no conflict. And if there were more conflict, if the stakes were higher, um, that might be kind of interesting. Other than Hubert saying, oh, my son's fallen in love with somebody who might not be this person. So, you know, I might have to call this off. But the whole reason they want this marriage is because they love each other. And because they love each other, there is no conflict. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not implying they romantically love each other. Right. Although, although, but, but I, I wouldn't. I <laughs> although wouldn't the have, queen might as well be dead because she does, she doesn't do anything. She doesn't but, say anything, and she's not involved in these negotiations at all. But they aren't trying to unite the kingdom because there's been a series of endless wars and they want peace. They are trying to unite the kingdom because they want to cement their friendship into mm-hmm. family. Uh, and and if that is their instinct, the conf- like we've said earlier, you know, I'm repeating myself, there just isn't enough conflict in that. Right. Right. They have woodland creatures that do adorable gags. Um, they have a couple of servants, one drunken servant who's kind of weird. I never really noticed the uh, servant drinking all the wine before. Yes, he's he's titled maybe that as was the in, Maybe I was in the shower when my daughter was. There, there is a character that we have missed. Yeah, Philip's horse. Oh yeah, Philip's horse, absolutely. Who I think is fantastic. Yes, he's, he is great. He is great, uh, and a bit of a story engine. But but I think the friendship between him and Philip is a real friendship, and mm-hmm. that and a real partnership. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the horse looks out for him. I think it's a, a sweet, um, it's a sweet, it's a sweet yeah. little relationship. Yes. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just pointing it out. Samson is the name. Samson. Of, uh, there it is. Yes. Okay. But I think I think honestly, they have a more nuanced relationship between the two of them than any other two characters in the in the movie. I would agree with you. Um, is it time for our recurring segment, Protagonist Problems? Protagonist Problems. <laughs> I know you have thoughts about this. I do. Who is the protagonist here? Well, so there's, it's not Aurora. I have my idea. No, it is not Aurora. Do you want to go you. first or? My choice for the protagonist are the fairies. I And why? 
And because they start wanting to control the situation by taking the child away, by not choosing to use their magic. They can't pull off not using their magic, so they fight over what to do next. They decide to tell Aurora who she really is, and then they fear they've made this huge mistake. Instead of despairing, they figure out a way to get Philip to fight for Aurora and save the day and perhaps a little bit wiser than they once were. Um, maybe they should have gone to talk to uh, Maleficent. That would have been a nice choice, right? Maybe they should have made that choice as opposed to making the choice to lock her away and act like nothing was happening. So you could make a case that Philip is a protagonist, but we barely spend any time with him. So that's why I was kind of on the fence about both of those, but that's where I'm I'm ending No, I, I mean, I completely agree with you here, and I don't want to. Um, <laughs> I don't want to for a couple of reasons. Uh, I, I don't want to because they're not... I, look, I don't want to be very racist. They're not human, and they're not capable right. of change. Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like I can't like non-human characters. Right. But when we're talking about one of the things we were looking at, uh, when we were talking about Mary Poppins is who grows and changes over the course of the movies. They don't. Right. No one does though. And so in the absence of that, in the absence of that, um, I, I mean, you. Re- so there actually is only one character who changes and grows, but he is definitely not the protagonist. And the only one who changes and grows in this whole thing is King Hubert. Oh, you he, don't think the fairies grow at no. all? No. No, not mm. at all. What did they learn? How have they changed? They're no, still feel, fighting over pink. The thing that was their big mistake, this pink and blue thing that got so much attention and got Maleficent there, they do it again at the mo- at the end of the movie. <laughs> right. They've learned I mean, nothing. Well, they don't get I mean, along better. Nothing. Again, I think that I think the mis- I think the thing that they should have done was battle Maleficent directly. Because if and they're they the protagonists, they right. need to do the work. Right. They should have done that in the beginning, and they don't. And so at the end, they have they through Philip battle her more directly. But Philip doesn't even have a con- doesn't change and grow when he falls in love with Aurora. It isn't a struggle for him that he's going to no. disappoint his father. The no. only character who changes and grows is Hubert. Right. Hubert, who is insistent that his son will marry this princess, but has an argument with his son about it. It threatens to disown his son. Like he's mm-hmm. like, you can't just give up everything, this kingdom, everything we've worked for, for this peasant girl, implying that if he marries or if Philip marries a, a Briar Rose, Right. It's over. You're out. Don't come back. And then he comes around, but he comes around way before the climax to start talking. He's going to go over to Stefan. He's right. like, look, my boy is he, he ultimately chooses his son over his own pride. And and I he should not it's be the character. Argument. He's not the protagonist. No one. Uh, if you're going to say who the protagonist, it's the three fairies. We're with them. The whole movie, they right. are there by Philip's side when he's yes. fight when they're fighting yes. the dragon. It's them, and, and really, Hubert just really seems to be like a reprise of the king in. Um, and he even looks the same, uh, the king in Cinderella. Yes, it's just a recycling. It's a recycled version with a similar conflict, except <sighs> for you know, it's yeah, it's confession, annoying. confession. Yes. I don't yes. really like the three fairies. You don't? No. No. I mean, it's cutesy, and it's... I love the moment where they're 
doing, you know, they're making the dress is fun where they cut the hole out of the fabric. That is super fun. I mean, but it's, it's like bits and gags. It doesn't drive the story forward. The reason I don't like them mm-hmm. is for whatever virtues they may have, they have no understanding of human nature. And the, the big example of this is when they're trying to figure out what to do to, to keep Rose Aurora safe. At one point they suggest, let's turn her into a flower. And I can't help but think, is that really better? Or is that an evil that Maleficent didn't even consider? Right. Right, they're going to take our humanity away from like, her. Like, why is that bad? Well, we don't want her to prick her finger and fall asleep when she's 16, so let's let her spend her entire life as a flower. What? what? Well, don't you, don't you think they get a better understanding of, of humanity as they go? And that could be their bit of their arc where they don't really understand humanity, and then they finally go, oh, no, these, pe- these two need to be together. This is really important. This is, he has to fight for her. This is, you know, I, we understand now we get it. If, so I'm going to, I'm going to caveat this. Okay. If at the beginning of the movie, they had a duty towards humanity, but did not love them. And through their interaction with Briar Rose learned to love her and they've never loved before. And if they could then extend that love to all humanity, then they would have an arc. The problem with these, the problem with uh, these fairies being the protagonist is we really don't know who they are or where they came from or any kind of backstory or why we started on this day with them. If we have to start on a day that makes more sense for them than makes more sense for Aurora in order to really understand who they are. And also, there's nothing at stake for them. No. They will other be than fine. They gave up six, other than they gave up 16 years of their fairiness. Which they um, said is not a significant... They said it's only 16 years because they're immortal. Right, right. There, there's there's nothing at stake. If Maleficent kills Rose, like, they'll be sad. So what? Right? right. Um, like, they'll get over it, too. If We need to see them fundamentally changed. They don't... I don't... Even if... You know, there was a rebellion at the end. We're not giving her back to the king. We're her parents now. Or right. if she wants to marry this boy she met in the woods, I'm invested now. I don't care what her father says about this Prince Philip. We want to exactly. They yes. don't. They don't. They, they don't make don't. the interesting choices, and that's why I don't like them. I like characters who make interesting choices. Yeah, and maybe even choices that would lead them to some sort of doom or, or really raise the stakes or whatever. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, dramatic irony I want to talk about a yes, little please. bit. Because this movie is rife with it. And um, so dramatic, just for our listeners who may not know or may need a refresher on dramatic irony. So dramatic irony is where an audience um, is aware of a situation that's wildly different than what our character thinks is going on. When it's used really well, uh, it builds tension and it makes uh, us wait for the reveal when the character finally knows what's happening. And if it's done well, it can be really satisfying to viewers. Um, or as one of the fairies says, I just love happy endings, right? It can give us this kind of moment where like, yes, finally, they know their purpose. They know what's going on. Um, so I have a couple of things that I pulled out here as opportunities, uh, bits of dramatic irony throughout the um, throughout the piece. 
Um, Briar Rose doesn't even know her own name as Aurora or that the women she lives with are actually good fairies, but we know that. Um, and that sort of lends itself to building some tension that we expect, but the payoff just really isn't, I want the payoff to be better. And it just isn't, um, when Philip and Briar Rose meet, they don't know they're betrothed. He thinks she's a peasant girl. She thinks he's a stranger. And she thinks she can't get together with him. And he thinks he can't get together with her. And we know they can, right? Um, and then Hubert thinks his son's in love with a peasant. And he struggles with telling Stefan, which should ratchet up tension, but they fall asleep. <laughs> so, so that doesn't, that's, yeah, that doesn't really do much there. So those are my um, bits of dramatic irony. Did you have anything that you wanted to add on that? I will, one more thing I want to say, just real quick, as it popped into my head. Um, the omniscient point of view lends itself to dramatic irony when it's done really well. And I think it's done well in Snow White. Yes. I think it's done well in Pinocchio. I think it's done well in Bambi. But I think in this movie, something's not fire. There's a misfire. And I can't figure out. Um, I think what's happening is the stakes are just too low. And nobody makes, and like you said, nobody makes really interesting choices. So if they're not doing that, and there's no payoff for the reveal, and there isn't, then it doesn't really it doesn't really give us that satisfaction that we're looking for as an audience. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, there, there is at no point where the audience is 10 steps ahead of the characters. Um, and, and because of that, you know, like we, we never anticipate dramatic irony is at its best when we can anticipate problems, but it's not great when we anticipate exactly how the problem is going to be resolved right right and so, like, so the philip aurora love story complication we know from two seconds into the movie is not real we're so right. far ahead of it right right so again that payoff just doesn't work or if if philip has to be convinced to maybe he's never had this moment where he's ever fought for anything in his life and now he has to fight for this. That would be more satisfying, right? Yeah. Even if we knew we were gonna, they were, even if we knew they were gonna end up together, if he just has this kind of wrestling within himself or some sort of conflict where he's like, I don't fight for anything. I always lay down for everybody. Whatever, whatever it uh, is, you know, I'm not sure what it is, but yes. If Hubert actually did disown Philip. And yes. Philip was exiled from the castle. Mm -hmm. And then, because he's chosen love, and then then he could be the protagonist. He right. it, like it breaks his heart. Like, but he he when he ultimately has to choose between his father and this girl that he's fallen in love with, he chooses the girl and it breaks his heart. Yes. Then we could use we would not be anticipated. Like, what happens next? Can this rift between father and son be healed? And it's it would have to be healed by more than oh I accidentally fell in the girl in love with the girl that you wanted me to fall in love with. It's also you you disowned me, right, right. And so there's more tension and forgiveness, and there needs to be some sort of satisfaction for this relationship where things are busted. You know, part of the thing that we do as screenwriters is we break things so we can fix them, yeah. or we break things so that they don't end up being fixed, but something else comes of it. Uh, out of that brokenness, right? Um, and and there's just nothing broken. I mean, Maleficent is, you know, 
Maleficent tries to break things, but she doesn't do it very well. Because even the fairy's like, okay, yeah, it was really bad, but I can fix it. I can change it a little bit. <laughs> All right, themes. Let's talk about themes. Oh. Obviously, we've talked we've talked about good versus evil. Yes. Um, uh, dreams can come true. It seems to be a theme in this. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll argue for it. I mean, it seems that if, if that's true, if they've been dreaming about each other this whole time, and they finally find each other, then maybe dreams can come true, right? And sexual awakening with love's first kiss. Because I think that's what this movie's about. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a much darker take on this movie. Okay, yes. Okay, my take is free will is an illusion. <laughs> Man cannot control his fate. Oh, All right. that's, can, okay. I, can I make my argument? Do we have yeah, time? Make, go ahead. Make okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My argument is when we're talking about transgression from the first King Stefan and Hubert are trying to control the future before their children even know each other. Their plan is to betroth them. They've, they're looking 16 years at the future and they're saying this will happen when they have the party. They invite the good fairies, but not the bad fairy. And they do that because they're like, if we don't invite the bad fairy, then nothing bad can happen. The fairies come up with this plan to keep Briar Rose fate, uh, safe for 16 years. And that plan fails. Every every time man contri- tries to control it, even when Maleficent says she's going to die when she's 16, her plan fails. You can't, you cannot, you do not have the agency to make those kinds of choices for yourself. The world is going to unfold the way that it's going to unfold. It is unknowable. There is no, there is no choosing. Um, you know, you might think that you're making a choice to be with one woman and not another, but guess what? It was the same woman all along. You never had a choice. <laughs> you never had a choice. There are no choices. Life oh. is a story. And and we are just players uh, in in that story, <laughs> strutting stage, our stuff. Right? I, you talk Julius Caesar, <laughs> I'll talk Hamlet. That's <laughs> we're all but poor players. Uh, uh, what what's going to happen is going to happen. Don't even try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't even bother. Yeah, and I mean, keeping your kids from evil, right? Could be. I mean, maybe not quite that dark, but one of the things that is happening here is they're trying to keep their kids, uh, anything happening to their kids. And uh, if nothing happens to your kids, then nothing ever happens to your kids, right? So there's, that's something that... um, Here's a better theme. Here's a better theme, Andy. You just sparked it in me. Are you ready? Okay, I am ready. Maybe the theme of this is when you try to protect your children too much, you actually do them harm. Absolutely. They could have had a conversation with her about, this is a spindle. Do not touch this spindle. It will kill you. They could give her the tools she needs uh, to become stronger. But instead, they protect her so much that she's weak and unable to defend herself when the moment of crisis comes. And then when it's Philip's turn, the fairies could do better. Instead, they are going to give him the tools. They've learned that with Aurora, they tried to keep her from knowing things. Now they realize they need to to educate this young person in order to tackle the evil. The evil doesn't go away by not knowing about it. Well, you have to better, know about yeah. Maleficent and you have to, in order to beat the evil. 
Right. And it's educating children. That's what it's, it's about. about. Yeah, it's educating about what happens when you don't educate and overprotect. That's right. That's good. And if this is about overprotection, it, if it were a really cautionary tale, what would make it work even better would be for, for Aurora Briar Rose to have some rebellion. More so than just meeting the guy in the Glen, right? It was, don't talk to strangers. I talked to a stranger. Oh, no, I talked to a stranger. I have to go. But you can come to my birthday party tonight, right? <laughs> well, it's more than that. I'll be back tonight. She doesn't <laughs> right, say, come right, to my right, birthday right. party. She says, oh, no, no. I'll meet you later. There's yeah. definitely a sexual awakening. There's, there's... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And have they had the talk with her? I bet they haven't. I bet they have not because they're, again, not aware of what happens with, uh, because they're fairies and not aware of what happens with humans, right? I'm, I'm sure they don't know. Wouldn't I'm have sure the slightest don't. clue. They seem very asexual. <laughs> they, I've got no problem with that. Some representation. I'm, I'm happy right. for that. I, I love it. Yes. I love it. Okay. So what would you do? How would you do the sequel? What questions need to be explored? So I wouldn't do a sequel. Um, I, I would love that there, that we don't have characters with questions to do a sequel from. Uh, I would do a reimagining instead, if that's okay with the mm-hmm. rules. And my reimagining, um, I think the boldest reimagining is, what would you do if you knew that when you turned 16, on that day you were going to die? And I think Aurora mm-hmm. should say, well, hey, up until this point, I can do anything. I can right. do anything because because we know that I, I die on day six on the day I turn 16. I'm right. going to hunt Maleficent, which she did to me. She's not going to do to anybody else. I might also instead give her dream powers. She's been enchanted by the fairies. So we set up that when she dreams, she meets she has the ability to astral project into other people's dreams. So that mm-hmm. towards the end of the movie, when she does get pricked by the spindle and is asleep, she can still be an active force directing Philip onward um, because mm. she's astral projecting. And therefore, maybe she even fights Maleficent psychically as Philip is fighting him, fighting her, the dragon, uh, in real life. That the battle is yeah, the good. two of them on different planes of existence battling Maleficent. I love it. I thought about more of a reimagining too. I didn't really think about sequels or I thought more about, about a prequel. And then also a, um, I, the queen in this story just keeps getting to me, but she needs a voice. And so what if the queen told the story from her point of view, what if she couldn't stay away and she visited her daughter when Aurora was growing up? And what if she had that offered opportunity for reveals and decided it, you know, it was against, you know, she was, it was against it for the good of her daughter. So she could tell her and Aurora is really wrestling and she chooses not to do that because, you know, that could be interesting. And then I thought about the, the fairies as well. Like, what were they like when they were young? Did they ever have the chance to become mortals, to perhaps fall in love themselves? And they never took that opportunity and they always regretted it. And so then they or something really terrible happened with Maleficent. And then they saw this baby being attacked by Maleficent. And they're like, no, we have to we have to take care of this. So I think those two things make this story and, and, and the other things we've mentioned make the story far more interesting because it's so lovely to look at. Oh, you, gorgeous. It is absolutely the most stunning artwork ever. And for all its flaws, and there are numerous, I would yes. still watch it again. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because it is so 
absolutely beautiful. The music is phenomenal. And it has, you know, it is definitely that Disney-esque beauty. Um, there are those beautiful, fantastic moments when the uh, the fairies cast their spells and the art and the beauty of it. It is just absolutely stunning. I just wish the story had more conflict yep. and more um, and more character development. Agreed. Agreed. This has been so much fun, Larry. It I'm is. I'm very forward to doing this again. What's our next Disney movie going to be? Our next Disney movie is going to be Peter Pan. <sighs> I'm oh, excited for Peter Pan. Yeah, you. that contains a few of your favorite Disney characters, and then maybe per, so perhaps some of our not-so-favorite Disney characters. The, the characters that are not my favorites, are not. it's not their fault that they're not my favorites. I'll, I'll, I'll right. give you that much. That's um, right. Yes, but no, we'll do Peter Pan next time, and it will be, it will be super fun. Uh, so, you know, if anybody uh, wants to follow us, we're both available on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Uh, she's at, at Andy Redwine, and I'm at Larry Brenner 6. Yeah, and it's Andy, A N D I E, Redwine, just like it sounds. That's a red wine. And it's my maiden name, by the way. Everybody asks that. They're like, why do you? I'm like, it's my maiden name, and it's the coolest maiden name ever. So, yeah. Yes. And um, yeah. And, and we, would, we would be happy to hear from you. Oh, I'd love to take questions or comments about anything we've said or ideas you might have about uh, future episodes or anything that you've heard us say. But until next time, this is Andy and Larry for Once Upon a Disney, and we'll see you soon. See you real soon. See you real soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 